And then we hear God's word from Exodus 15 in our English Bibles, verses 22 to 27. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea, then they went out into the wilderness of Shur. And they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they had come to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore the name of it was called Marah. And the people complained against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? So he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. When he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made a statute and an ordinance for them, and there he testified them, and said, If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God, and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elam, where there were twelve wells of water, seventy palm trees, so they camped there by the waters. You know, you think of those words of Jesus in Luke 24. The whole Old Testament scripture is about him. We cannot divide the Old Testament from the New Testament. They belong together. It's all about Jesus. And if you look at what we've been hearing from Exodus, in Exodus, what is God showing us here? He's showing the pattern of salvation in Jesus Christ. One person says it this way. He says, we too were slaves in the Egypt of our sin. And who came to set us free? Jesus did. And who is he? He's our Passover lamb. What did he do? He shed his blood on the cross as the sacrifice for our sins. And what else did he do? He arose again from the dead. And that's pictured how he, the Lord, brought Israel through the Red Sea. All those things, right, are pictured in Christian baptism, in our baptism in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So you can see that Israel's coming out of Egypt points to a greater coming out, and that points to what Jesus has done through his death, resurrection for us. So it shows the pattern for Christ, and it shows the pattern for the church, doesn't it? Look at Israel. They lived in slavery. They trusted the Lamb. They crossed from death to life in the Red Sea, and they're singing. But it doesn't mean, mean they have reached heaven yet. There is, a, there is a place to go through yet, and that's called the wilderness. They're called to go through the wilderness on their way to what land? Canaan, the promised land. And think of the promised land for us today is not the land of Israel, but it's the new heaven and a new earth. And so you see that as we begin to hear about Israel's travel through the wilderness, it's a picture of our life as we walk in this earth, as we travel toward the new heavens and a new earth. Okay, we're traveling from, you could say, the Red Sea, the resurrection of Christ, who rose again from the dead. He will come again, to bring us into the new heaven and new earth. But in the meantime, yeah, there's a lot of struggles. A lot of struggles in this life for believers, for the people of God. Who of us doesn't have struggles? Yeah, all of us do. We all have trials, painful trials sometimes. 
You know, it's one thing to worship the Lord on Sunday, but it's another, isn't it? To live out our faith when we face painful trials during the days of the week. And if you look at Exodus 15 here, who shows his grace? The Lord does. Towards whom? Grumblers. Complainers. Have we ever complained? I think all of us complain, probably more than what we realize. And you see the Lord here showing his grace toward ungrateful malcontents, ungrateful grumblers, ungrateful complainers. And the, why is the Lord so gracious? Why is he so merciful? Because he loves his people, though they often complain. He loves his people, and he wants to teach them to rely on his grace. To rely on his grace. And he does so in two ways. First of all, you see the Lord testing. He sends painful trials, struggles in the lives of believers because he's testing their love. Do you really love me? Are you going to trust me? Do you really believe I'm going to bring you through this and I'm going to bring you to the right place? That's the first point. And second of all, trusting him, we see how he always provides. Even in struggles, he always provides for his people. He loves more than a father loves his own children or a mother loves her own children. So you see, first of all, tests. Testing. He's going to examine. He examines our faith from time to time. Are we going to trust him? He wants us to grow in our faith, to grow in our trust. And he sends hardships at times. He knows what the Lord had done. He is so great. He's so big. He brought his people through the Red Sea. And what happened? The enemy drowned. The Egyptians drowned in the Red Sea. And now they're singing. They're singing shouts of joy on the shores of the Red Sea. But do you think that God's people now think that all their troubles are now over? The Lord saved them. They belong to him. They belong to him in life and in death. Are all their troubles over? You know, sometimes you have Christians saying, if you become a believer in Jesus, you'll have no more troubles. You'll be healthy and you'll be wealthy. That's a lie. That's nowhere in the Bible. You can't find that in the Bible anywhere. Not, nowhere do you find that. Did the people of Israel think that maybe? We don't know. The Lord knows. Who's guiding the people? Who's guiding his people? Who's guarding them? Who's protecting them? The Lord. Remember that pillar of cloud that led by day, the pillar of fire by night, that showed that the Lord was with them the whole way. When it stopped, were the people to stop? Yes. When the cloud moved on, what were the people to do? Keep on walking. It's kind of like the word of God. We follow the word of God. When we follow the word of God, there's blessing. In a real way, God's people had to walk with the Lord hand in hand. Sometimes people want to pull their hands out of the Lord's hand because they thought they knew better. No, hand in hand, walking with the Lord, trusting him each step of the way. And so you come to verse 22. Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea 
And then they went out into a great garden. No. Where did they go? Into the wilderness. The wilderness. And they went three days and found no water. Hey, Egypt, look at them. They have all the food and all the water. It's so easy. What are we doing? Well, begin to see the wilderness is not a smooth, easy path for Christians. Didn't, the, didn't Jesus say that in Matthew 7? Jesus says in Matthew 7, Difficult is the way that leads to life, but at least to life. They could have stayed in Egypt. They would have been drowned. But it does lead to life. And that's what the Lord is teaching his people here. How many people are there walking in the desert? It's a little less than the size of Toronto. Two million people. That's a lot of people, isn't it? And then you think old, older people, grandparents, moms and dads, little children like Wanch and Curtis and Gideon and others, Anna, all walking through the desert. And then all the animals, besides, what a great entourage. And they were walking on smooth beach sand, right? Kind of like the sands on the shores of Mexico. No, 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 no. The wilderness land was rocky, bare. People would trip. Imagine the older people. Oh, they would fall. It was not easy. It was hard for the people to walk because the ground was so uneven, parched, dry. And then the mountains, they were scary to look at. Sometimes the mountains loomed so large, they made the people feel lonely, frightening, scary. The sun was hot, but you know what? The Lord provided the pillar of cloud by day. Think of Psalm 121, beautiful. The Lord was their shade at their right hand. And through the hardships, the Lord was there. He says, you trust me. You know what? It's not about yourself. You look at your own circumstances. You, you begin to cry. But you look to the Lord. He will pull you through it. He will pull you through it. The pathway in the desert is really a picture of the lives of God's people today, isn't it? Our lives. We all have our problems. We all have our struggles and the Lord uses them as tests. Tests in our lives. There are troubles, there are hardships. But that's what the Lord wants us to see in this passage. He doesn't want us to see our troubles and hardships, first of all, but that He is there to call upon, to cry, to cry to. He's the one who gives wisdom. He's the one who gives help. And what's the problem here? A most basic necessity water. Where would they find water for the millions of people, for the little babies, for the animals? One day passes, another day passes, the next day passes. Any water? No water. They're at their wit's end. Did the Lord really lead them there? Was the Lord really with them? Children are cranky. Mothers are tired. Fathers are getting angry. And you know what? The cloud of the Lord 
moves, and it stops right at the place called Mara. Wow, what's the Lord bringing us to here? There they see a beautiful sight. What do they see? Water. Water. The sunlight sparkling on a pool of water. And then you come to verse 23, 24. Just when you think there was relief, when they came to Merah, they happily drank the waters. No, they could not endure it. They could not drink the waters of Merah, for they were bitter. Therefore they called the name of it was, therefore they called it Merah. And the people complained against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? You can imagine that. They would lap, they were so thirsty, they were ready to lap up the water and they just immediately spit it out. Bah, yuck, gross. It's awful, unfit for human consumption. It's like you're drinking water out of Lake Ontario, only worse. You don't dip your cup into Lake Ontario. It was way worse than that. They couldn't drink the waters of Mara. They couldn't endure it. Mara, three times. Mara, 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 bitter, bitter. Bitter. And what do they do? They grumble. You know, if you're not happy in life, what do you tend to do? You grumble and you complain to other people. Right? And it's hard to worship the Lord. It's hard to worship the Lord rightly. And it's hard to serve your neighbor because all you're thinking about is how the Lord seems to be treating you. They grumble against Moses. Moses, we're going to grumble to you. So can you imagine? One person, two million people. You hear this murmuring all through the camp. What are they going to do to Moses? Are they going to hurt him? Are they going to stone him? They're not happy. Besides, they're attacking God, ultimately. Why is God leading them out there? They grumbled against Moses, the very shepherd God had provided for them. Where was their thanks? Look at all that the Lord had done for them just three days before. Did they forget about all that? Are they really doubting God's love now? Do they really think that God is not worthy of even a thank you anymore? Just because this has come to them? He's with them. The pillar of cloud is right there. But they don't go to the Lord with their problems. No. You know, sometimes when we're grumbling so much, we don't even think about going to the Lord. Because poor me, poor me, poor me, poor me. Yeah. You know what's interesting? You know what God calls grumbling? Psalm 106, verse 7, read it. Rebellion. It's a terrible sin. Terrible. What lessons may we learn from this? I think the first lesson we should learn is when we complain, we, we, what are we saying? I deserve better. That's what we're saying to the Lord. I deserve better. But do we? Do we deserve anything less than what the Lord gave to the Egyptians drowning in the Red Sea? It was only the blood of the Lamb that protected them. We don't deserve anything less than that. You know, our grumbling, when we grumble, what does it show? A haughty heart, a proud heart, a heart that says, it's all about me. 
That's what that's what complaining is. Rebellion. And we're just not able to worship the Lord as he wants us to. Because that's where the problem first is. It lies in the heart. But you know what else? The second lesson. When hardships come, and everyone faces hardships, everyone has different hardships. The Lord knows exactly what we need. Painful trials. And you know what? They don't come from Satan. Satan uses them. But they don't come from Satan. They don't come by chance. Oops. They're not by accident. They're not by luck. You think of what we confess as God's people. Right? How do they come? They don't come to us by chance, but by God's fatherly hand. All the things that come in your life, okay, come by God's fatherly hand. Is that your confession? Remember, he sends these things not to hurt us, but to help us to grow in our faith, to trust him, to look to him for guidance, to look to his word, that we may draw even more and more from his word to help us on the journey of faith. We know that. Look at verse 25. It says that the Lord tested them. <laughs> That's the word there. He tested them. That's what's going on. Do you really love me? Are you really thankful to me? Do you really want to worship me? Do you really want to go with me to the new <coughs> land? Do you want that in new inheritance? The Bible gives a strong warning to anyone who has a complaining spirit if you look at 1 Corinthians 10.10, 10, and this is on the basis of a later outbreak of groaning or grumbling among Israel, Apostle Paul warns us against having that same sort of attitude as Israel had. He says, do not grumble, as some of them did, and we're destroyed. Wow. We're not talking about grace toward murderers here, or thieves. We're talking about grace towards grumblers. We think that that's not such a bad sin because, well, everybody does it. Not everybody murders. Not everybody steals. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. Complaining is really displeasing to the Lord. It's very displeasing to the Lord. The Bible warns us. And you look at the different passages. I have them listed in the sermon there. James 5, verse 9. Philippians 2, 3, and 14. 1 Peter 4, verse 9. 1 Thessalonians 5, 18. Ephesians 4, 29 talks about corrupt, corrupt speech. Third, the third thing. So the first thing is, complaining says, I deserve better. The second thing is, right, the Lord sends hearts to test our faith. The third thing is, has something happened in your life that has become a constant source of complaining for you? A constant source? You might call these bitter places in your life. Who has maras in their life? All of us have maras in our life, don't we? What we face may be bitter in itself, right? Those things may be bitter, but should they make us bitter? The greater, the greater problem at Mara was not the water, but the greater problem at Mara was the bitter hearts of the people. That was the problem. The greater problem was their hearts, not the water. The Lord graciously, look at that. 
in spite of all the contentions and the grumbling, the Lord has his arms wide open and he graciously offers healing. Yes, the Lord shows that we need to give our bitternesses over to him. Repent of it and trust in God to provide us in the tests along the way that he sends. He will give you strength, right? Is it a situation in work? Is it a situation at home? Ask him. He will give you strength. He will give you wisdom. The Lord is our healer. He refreshes. He brings joy. He brings contentment. You believe that? You believe that? You believe that the Lord is good? Is he good? Can we say that? Do we confess that? That brings us to our second point. The Lord graciously provides. Why should you trust the Lord? The reason is this. He can turn what is bitter into something sweet. Into something sweet. That's what you see happen at Merah. See what happened? Moses cried out to the Lord. And the Lord showed him a tree. You notice that? The Lord showed him. The Lord had something in mind for his people. He says, I'm not going to end here. I'm going to show them something. I'm going to show them who I am. I'm going to show them how great and gracious I am. He shows Moses a tree. Moses takes that tree, throws it into the waters. And the waters were made, the little word there is sweet, mitta, sweet, sweet waters. When Moses was faced with a desperate physical need, did he grumble? Two million people grumbling at him. Moses knew. He's not a perfect man, but he knew he had to take that problem to the Lord. He didn't grumble at them. He didn't bicker with them. He didn't fight with them. Instead, he took his troubles to the Lord. He took their troubles to the Lord. There was nothing he could do anyway. Has complaining ever changed your situation in life? No. Complaining has never changed anyone's situation. Moses goes to the Lord. You notice Moses' one little prayer here? That accomplished more than all the grumblings of God's people. Moses brought the problem to the Lord. And God shows him that tree. And he throws it in the water. And he uses a tree to change the bitter to the sweet. Now, we should not say that the tree had some sort of a healing agent inside of it. No, it was just a tree. There's nothing, nothing uh, magic about that tree. It's just a plain old tree. But it's the Lord who uses the rod of Moses, right, to show his power. Now using a normal, ordinary tree to show his power. What power did he use it for? He used it as a sign. And it's a sign that he used in an immediately powerful way. The, all the water, immediately, as quickly as Moses threw it in, was changed into sweet water. So quickly. It was a sign. Look at, look at people. Look at. Stop your grumbling. Look, look at the tree. Look, at the, look what I did. Look what I showed Moses. Look at me. Look at me. Look what I can do. You trust me. You go with me. Don't fall into grumbling again. Go to him. He's so rich in grace. 
You know what's amazing here? You know what's so amazing here? It's not that God did a miracle. It was a miracle. But you know what's so amazing here? That he's willing to show his love and mercy to a bunch of ungrateful grumblers and malcontents. You notice what else? You don't read anywhere else that they prayed to the Lord. They didn't even weep over their sin of grumbling. And yet, the Lord shows his mercy. Why? Yeah, he wants to show his mercy, but he's saying, look, you can trust me. Even when they didn't cry out to him, he's showing to them, you can trust me. I am there for you. I am your father who brought you out of Egypt. I'm the one who's able to look after you. He's teaching his people to trust him. Yes. Not because they deserved it, but because God is good. It's because of his promises in Christ. Now, of course, we go to another wooden tree. What's the other wooden tree? That's a greater wooden tree. A sign? The cross. The cross of Christ. Never, ever doubt God's mercy, his goodness to you. Never say, I deserve better. Look at his son. Isn't that proof of his love? Of his grace? That should humble us. His grace should humble us and bring us to our knees. It should make us realize grumbling has no place. The cross. That's the tree that heals our bitter lives. Our bitter sin. God can change that bitter waters of sin in us into the sweet waters of life by going to Jesus. Also, Romans says, Romans 5, 8 says, well, we were still sinners. So we were, we were not good people. While we were still in our sins, Christ came and died for us. That's mercy. That's love. That tree which the Lord showed Moses and threw into the water was a sign to the people. What did God use that sign for? To instruct the people. It was a sign. Just like the Lord's Supper is a sign to instruct us, right? That we rely on Christ for the forgiveness of sins. So the Lord used that as a sign to show them, you don't trust in yourselves, you trust in me. You see that in verse 25 and 26. The Lord made a statute and an ordinance, and there he tested them and said, if you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Right? The Lord uses his word today. He directs us to his word. We read about the sign of the cross. And he's saying, you listen. And that means he gives you what you need in life. Think about it. Think about the broader history. God tested the obedience of our first parents. He tested their love. Adam and Eve. Did they pass the test? No. They entered the wilderness. Didn't they? They went out of the garden into the wilderness. How did it happen? Well, the woman started grumbling, thought that God wasn't so good, and thought God was too strict, and she saw that the tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, was good for food, Pleasant to the eyes, a tree desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, she gave to her husband, 
and he ate. And because of their sin, diseases are unleashed throughout the entire world. You just everywhere, including the plagues that God sent in the Egyptians. You know what God is showing here? His grace changes all of this. His grace reverses all of this because of his promise in Jesus. Remember what Jesus did? He too was tested as a second Adam. Where was he tested? In the wilderness. Did he pass the test? He passed the test. Praise God. Does that mean that in Jesus we can pass the test? Yes. He gives us the grace to pass the test. But yeah, he gives the grace. We must go to him. He gives the grace. He gives the wisdom. He gives everything that we need in hardships, calling us to trust him. He graciously offers Jesus to you. He says, here, here's my grace. And he gives the strength. He even gives the strength for us to be able to be the worker he wants us to be, to be the parent he wants us to be. Right? I am the Lord who heals you. I am the Lord who changes the bitterness into sweetness. I am the one who heals grumblers, not only murderers and thieves, grumblers. I'm the one that can change tears into a song. I'm the one that can bring you out of death and bring you to everlasting life. Doesn't this tree remind you of something else? Not only the tree, which is the cross of Christ, but what else? Think back to the garden, the life-giving tree. Right? From the wilderness into the garden. And then you go to the very end of the Bible, Revelation 22, the tree of life which brings healing to the nations. That's also in the garden. Jesus is the way. The only way. The only answer to grumbling. This does not mean that God's people never get diseases or get sick. All of God's people get diseases and sick. Everyone dies. That's true. What this means is that in Christ, God forgives all your iniquities and heals all your diseases. We read in Psalm 103 this morning. In the new Canaan, in the new heaven and earth, after this life of wilderness is over, God promises there will be no more diseases. That's not a promise he gives. That, that, that this, this doesn't mean if you become a Christian today and you get a disease that God's going to suddenly heal you. Right? But the promise is there will be no more diseases. In the new heaven and new earth. No more death. No more sickness. No more crying. No more weeping. Revelation 21, 22. Christ bore witness to that in his healing ministry on earth. He's the one who gives forgiveness of sins and blessing of new life. And in heaven, he shows that there will be no more sickness, no more disease, no more death. He showed that in the coming of the kingdom, the healing powers of Christ. But the plagues... The plagues will fall on all those who do not believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And then you go to verse 27. That's where we conclude. Verse 27 gives another glorious picture. More trees. More trees. Look at verse 27. They came to Elam where there were 12 wells of water and 70 palm trees. So they camped there by the waters. You notice what the pillar of cloud did? The pillar of cloud moved from Merah all the way to Elam, and it stopped 
at Elam. The Lord is encouraging his people. He's showing what a beautiful picture that his blessing is for all who trust on him. To Israel, 12 wells of water for the 12 tribes of Israel. And then you have the 70 palm trees, a picture of the 70 nations that are listed in Genesis 10. We are to be the living water. We are to be the ones who offer living water to the nations of the earth who need God's grace. Yes. A greater than Israel is here. Jesus. The water of life for all nations. Elam. Elam. Jesus said it himself. He said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Who was Jesus speaking about? The Holy Spirit. To come to Jesus is to receive the Holy Spirit. And with his Spirit comes an everlasting supply of grace. You need grace? Yes, we all need grace, don't we? Come to Jesus, and you will discover that he is deeply satisfying in every way. He's the answer to contentment. He's the answer to greed. He's the answer to murmuring and complaining. In conclusion, how are you being tested? What test is the Lord sending in your life? How are we, or how are you responding to those tests in your life? You see his grace? I think I want to here bring an application that concerns all of us. You know, as a congregation, as a school, Hope Academy, this passage should really encourage us. Yeah, the Lord is testing our faith in his providence. This building was sold from under our feet. What now? God's plan. It's God's hand. And so we move forward in faith. And he will provide. He will provide for our needs, for his name's sake. Where will, he, where will we go? Let's be careful not to fall into grumbling because there is no blessing of the Lord in that. Let's trust. Let's obey. Let's have the vision of Elam. Elam. The twelve waters of well. Sorry, well, the waters of well. The twelve wells of water. The seventy palm trees. Because in Christ, we have everything. Let's continue to have that vision of the kingdom. Amen.